it's that time of the week again. It's Flat Out RC podcast time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under, Melbourne, Australia. And what a place it is to be at the moment. The weather is perfect for flying, but I can't get out flying. I'll get to that shortly. But great episode coming up. A, a local Melbourneian. I always struggle with his surname. And he, I know him well. It's Mario uh, Pacheseppi. That's his name. Mario Pacheseppi. I call him Pacheseppi most of the time. Or Pacheseppi. I just make up names for him. But Mario Pacheseppi is with us. And we're going to talk a lot of different things with him because uh, he's been flying for for many, many years. And a well-known face at uh, many clubs down here in Melbourne, Australia. But uh, before we get to my chat with Mario, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. What has been on my mind? Well, the first thing is just a reminder that Bairnsdale Warbirds Warbirds over Bairnsdale event is coming up October the 29th and 30th. Uh, The field will be open from the Friday to the Tuesday. Uh, it's for MAAA registered pilots, uh, and it's all um, open to any military aircraft, irrespective of vintage, power, source, country, or use. So it's just a, a warbird event in general. There'll be a few prizes, Pilot Choice Awards for, for different categories, biplane, monoplane, propeller, and other aircraft. So if you have a turbine jet, not a sport jet, but if you have a turbine jet that is was a military jet, you know what? I'm going to make a rule. If you've got a military jet that's got like a Formula One scheme on it, it's a sport jet. Anyway, uh, you've got to go there with a jet that's it's a warbird. It's got to be look like a warbird. Anyway, so uh, a few prizes there. Entry is $25 per pilot. That includes complimentary breakfast on the Sunday. So there'll be a lot of people staying the night. It is a long weekend down here in Melbourne because we'll have the Melbourne Cup uh, event holiday. Camping is $10 per night. So there's camping at the field and they've got really good facilities, toilet and hot shower, Barbecue and fire pit, disabled amenities, catering on site, heavy model certificates required. You should all have your heavy model certificates up to date if you're going to go to an event, people. I know that a lot of events don't check the heavy model certificate, but you should carry it with you just in case uh, because you never know when they're going to ask. So October 29th and 30th at the Bansdale Club, Warbirds over Bansdale, uh, Jump onto their Facebook page, the um, Bairnsdale and the District Model Aero Club uh, Facebook page because uh, they put a lot of information on that and uh, you'll be able to see what is going on. So what has been on my mind? I have not been thinking about aero modelling a lot recently and that is because I have hurt myself. I don't know whether I mentioned it last week, but uh, no, I didn't. Oh, yes, I did. I can't remember. I think I did mention it, but I've uh, hurt my arm. I pulled the uh, the bicep tendon off my left arm at the elbow. There is some fancy name for it. I'm not going to repeat it. And so that's sort of taken up my mind because I am getting operated on this week. And they have to reattach the tendon. And so the last thing on my mind, well, I was thinking about aeromodeling because I was planning on going flying uh, on the weekend. And the weather, it's been, it was perfect. Absolutely and utterly perfect flying conditions. And uh, I can't sort of lift any weight. So it got me thinking about, um, Aero modeling and, and what really does prevent us from flying. And 
Not a lot, really. Not many injuries will prevent us from getting out there and going for a fly. Uh, of course, there's ailments that prevent you from going in the field, you know, like COVID or, you know, you've got a broken leg and you can't walk out to the strip or something like that. But even then, that shouldn't be a problem because people carry out there, put you on a chair or something. But but uh, generally, I think it's weight-bearing. Anything that's weight-bearing might be a bit, of a, a bit of concern, especially if you're flying bigger models. But you know, I really, with, with the injury that I've sustained, which is not life-threatening, it's just a pretty minor thing, really, but uh, I could probably still get out to the field. I could carry a foamy in my right arm. Someone else can carry my transmitter, and I can still sort of hang the transmitter off my neck and, and, and so I'm not lifting it and fly. So I could I possibly could have, but I just wasn't in the mood for it. And I think that's... Probably the biggest challenge if you are suffering from any health ailments is you might not be in the mood for it. But as I always say, that uh, error modelling never goes away with many of us. You know, I've interviewed lots of people that have come in and out of the hobby depending on life circumstances, and but they all agree that it never really went away. They were still thinking about it. So uh, I'm, I am thinking about it. I, I, a package did arrive for me with a plane in it I won't talk too much about it uh, but uh, I did open it I haven't had a good look at it yet but uh, I have been thinking about that and uh, and thinking about how long it's going to take me to recover so that I can get back to the flying field because it's our springtime here in, in Australia for those listening overseas and it's the best time of year to go flying it's just absolutely beautiful uh, the, the weather hasn't been too too bad it's been pretty wet down my neck of the woods, but uh, that means the grasses are really green and things are looking good. So, uh, I I might I might not have an episode next week. I'm not putting the pressure on myself to produce a podcast episode next week, considering that I'm having an operation this week and uh, and the timeframes are pretty tight, you know, in between all of my other commitments. So, I will see how I go. I will try to potentially have somebody, but if I do, I do. If I don't, I don't. I'll be back the following week anyway. I should be so. Uh, it's just about managing the pain and whether I'm in the mood for, for for doing a podcast and interviewing, having a not long chat with somebody if I'm not feeling all the best. But anyway, I'm sure you understand. And look, I'm not going anywhere. I'll be back at some point in time. Maybe not next week, the week after, but stay tuned. I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to have an episode. Anyway, let's move on. guest time my favorite part of the podcast and it's mario gonna try to get his name right again parchisepi there it is i think i got it right mario as i've mentioned earlier was he has been in the hobby for a very long period of time and he's a very sensible man he's a trustworthy man he's a guy that if he gives you some advice it's probably he's uh come from his wealth of experience he started flying at a young age like many do uh has continued pretty much uh, through his entire life and uh, dabbled in, in in both fixed wing and helicopters as well. I didn't realise, I didn't know him as a helicopter guy. And, of course, all roads lead to jets, so we'll cover some of the jets that he's got as well. So let's just get into it. My interview with Mario, uh, let me get this right, Pachisepi, or is it Pachescopi, or is it Pachbit? Anyway. Here's Mario. Well, I'm, I'm, I've got a guest on that's close to home. Uh, he's a Melbourneite, lives in my local town, Mario Pachisepi. Is that was a correct, Mario? Did I pronounce your name right? Yeah, that sounds pretty good, Andrew. Pachisepi. Uh, it's, it's, I had to ask you off air just to get it right because I've got other names for you. 
like Super Mario. Maybe I'll just call you Super Mario. <laughs> yeah, it's a good old Italian name, mate, and my dad tells me that it's pretty common over in Italy. Well, look, I, I've my name's actually Italian. Oh, there you go. I, like, I, my dad's Italian, um, but the, the surname's Sil, S-I-L-L, but it wasn't Sil, it was Silich. And oh, then, okay. And then Mussolini said, oh, if you're Italian, you don't have a C-H, that's Yugoslav, and so it became Silly with an I. And well, it's silly now. <laughs> that is correct. So it, actually sometimes I'll, I'll refer to myself as silly with the I. I've still got silly relatives <laughs> over in Italy. But anyway, what we're going to do is we're going to have a bit of a deep dive into your aero modelling history. I know a little bit about you. You're in my, my my Facebook messenger group with a bunch of other whackers from the aero modelling community. <laughs> and we have a bit of fun a around bit that. Of fun, that. Uh, <laughs> For anyone out there listening, and if you're onto Facebook or WhatsApp and have a, a messenger group with other aero modelers, let's just say it gets out of hand pretty quickly. Um, and there's it's like riding a roller coaster, the ups and downs. Anyway, and I'm not, I'm never sure if they're serious or not. <laughs> most of the, well, it's half and half sometimes. I can, t- I've, you know, when you've been in a, a, a chat group for a while, you get to know when it's serious or not. Um, but yeah, that's uh, what I've got to learn, like. Yeah, because sometimes it gets a bit heated. But anyway, um, now Mario, you are a you know an avid aero modeler and and a good one at that. Let's. Start- I loved it. I've loved it for a long time. Okay, so where did it all start? Oh, where did it all start? Uh, I reckon I got to go back to when I was about fourteen. I reckon that's when the seed was sown. Uh, a friend of myself and a friend. Decided we were going to dra- ride our dragster push bikes with the good old three-speed T-bar shift down to Cobbledick's Ford, and uh, which was about 10 or 15 k's away from where we lived, and uh, started riding. And uh, about five k's from home, we came across the Marks Club, and uh, decided to pull in there. <laughs> and we went in, and they had a uh, what I now know to have been a pattern competition on. So they had the good old 60-size 1970s-type pattern models, you know, with retracks and things. Yeah. And uh, we were amazed. We saw these planes on the ground and thought, oh, this is amazing, you know, and looking at it. And I asked the fellow the same, the normal old question, you know, g'day, mister, how much do they cost? <laughs> and the bloke says to me, these things they're about twelve hundred dollars. I'm telling you, I nearly fell over backwards, Because yeah. well, this would have been what year? What 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 roughly year? Uh, I reckon. Oh, I was about fourteen, so that's going to be about nineteen seventy-two, I'd reckon. Um, and uh, so that was a lot of money. And uh, nineteen seventy-two, that was a truckload. And that's what those pattern type competition models cost. I'm not sure if it was fair income or what, but it was more money than I'd ever heard about. I'll tell you that. And so we just left it at that and ended up going home. Uh, so that's I reckon that's when the seed was sown. After that, we had a few control lines at the state schools. Used to get this fella to buy us the old Cox fuel in the little bottles, you know, from Hearn's Hobbies. <laughs> so wait a second. Where did you get the Cox models? Were they the little PT-19 or whatever it was? Uh, PT-19s, classic? yeah, we had those with a little... Uh, we would have bought them at the local toy shop, you know, get our parents to buy them. Mm. And, uh, but we needed fuel. So we got this fellow who was a bit older than us and he used to go into uh, his hobbies and he'd buy the Cox fuel in the little uh, 300 mil bottles, whatever they were. 
And to this day, I still remember the smell of that Cox fuel. Oh. It had a unique smell. Oh, really? <laughs> a good one or a bad one? Oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> Once you, it might have been the uh, caster in it. I don't know, you know? Yeah, probably. But it had that unique smell that just brings back that memory. Yeah. Now, yeah, so okay, so good days. what did your parents think of it? Of you getting oh. involved in this model aeroplane thing? Look, it was the 70s, mate. My parents didn't really care too much what we did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just took off on our bikes and went wherever and nobody really cared. So they, they, they didn't really uh, pay too much mind to what I was doing. Um, okay, so, so you get the – you fly on the control lines, then what's the next – did you join the Marks Club or when did that come about? Well, not yet, not yet. So what happened – I kind of forgot about it after that, you know, had uh, ended up getting my licence. I reckon I was about 19 or 20 when uh, I went to the local market and I found the um, Aeroflight, I think that was the brand of the kit, one of the little boats, uh, uh, an airboat. Platypus. And I thought, oh, yeah, oh, Platypus, that was it, yeah. yeah. And um, and ended up buying it and building it and using it down the creek behind the old man's place. Uh, but... Because it went in the reeds, you know, you had to go and get the plastic thing. Was it remote control or is it? Was it? It was remote. It was remote. I had a remote control on it, a yeah. uh, little two-channel uh, Fataba plastic, those little plastic ones. Yeah. AM sets. Oh, pretty good. And uh, so I thought this wasn't much job, so I went and got a bigger boat and took it down to uh, um, Cherry Lake. There was a club down there, boat club, and um, it went pretty good cruising around out there and end up conking out in the middle, of course, you know. <laughs> so I had to go and get it again. <laughs> what, have a bit of a swim out there? Yeah, well, it wasn't a swim. You can get into about your knees, you know, but it was walking on rocks and things under uh. there. Yeah, anyway, so I said, oh, this is not real keen on this. So I thought, we're going to get a plane. So a friend of mine and myself went to the hobby shop and I ended up buying an Aeroflight Gemini. I'm yeah, sure yeah. some of the older models will remember those. Yep. Low wing trainer. And uh, my mate got the Aeroflight uh, Hustler. Yeah. And we both, yeah, we both ended up building them. And um, mine came out pretty good, but I didn't actually learn on that plane. I actually bought a little uh, half A size model with a Cox motor and put a two channel radio in it. And, you know, I'd fly it and it'd crash and I'd fly it and it'd crash. And eventually it was too heavy to fly with glue on it and the wing ended up breaking and it really crashed and that was the end of that. <laughs> so at this stage, had you joined the club? Well, not quite yet. Not but, yet? Where were you flying? Well, we were down the back of the old man's place. There was a big um, big, uh, big reserve down there. Okay. Anyway, so then I had the Aeroflight Gemini. I said, no, I've got to go down to the club. And I remembered the old Mark's club, you know, that we'd gone and seen. So I drove down there and uh, joined up and I went down there with my Aeroflight Gemini and uh, I went in and told the guys I was a bit of a newbie and uh, I needed a bit of help. I hadn't flown before. And uh, they sent me off to meet a fella on the flight line who was going to help me. And it turns out it was Paul Richardson's dad. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, we, we ended up becoming friends. But... I always remember when I went out there, he grumbled to me 
he said, oh, these newbies come out with these pieces of junk and expect us to fly them. Yeah. <laughs> Straight away. Anyway, you looked you looked over me plane and it wasn't too bad. So you end up flying it and giving me a go on the sticks and that was it. I was pretty much hooked after that. And um, I was a permanent member of the Marks Club and I have been ever since. Okay, so... The Marks Club back there, for anyone out of town, it, it was sort of one of the early clubs, wasn't it? One of, one of the first, I think, radio control kind of clubs. It was. It seemed to have a really big following back in that era. Is that correct? In the, in those days, there were, a, there were a lot of members. And on the weekend, the place would be full, you know. Um, it's, it's not quite like that sometimes today. No. But in those days, everyone was pretty keen and there weren't that many clubs around. So the Mark Club was kind of a major club in the area and everybody went down there. And there was plenty of room around there at the time. It's a little bit uh, it's a little bit built in now and so you can't fly there anymore. So for anyone living in Melbourne who's been to the Mark Club, the Mark Club now has – the club has, is not dead. The field is gone though because um, – the, the, the field has gone – were they always at that site, which is out in Laverton? Yes, we were always at that site. Okay, so this site, basically what ever happened is it's on parkland, but it was the, the, the factories, you know, development it, yeah. got too close right. and there were a few too many incidents of planes crashing into warehouses and that led to the demise of, of that field. But I... No, there's still sort of there's still a skeleton group to keep the club alive, and I think they're, they're going to be doing. Something yeah, they're hoping to get another field sooner or later and uh, start the club up again. Well, that'd be alright. Uh, but yeah, look, there was tons of room then, uh, but as the factories built in closer and closer, eventually it was going to happen. Yeah, and it was anyway. re- it was a relatively close club for most people as well. Like it was pretty accessible for for most people in Melbourne. It was really close for me, you know. And uh, some of the memories there, I remember bringing my three-year-old son there, and first time ever, and he saw the plane, and he's running back and forward, pointing, pointing, Dad, look. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So he's grown up now, and we go flying together now. So there you go. I haven't met your, uh, met your son. I haven't seen him. But anyway, one day uh, I will. And, okay, so uh, it, I remember the the Aeroflight Gemini, and you said your friend got the Hustler, and I was thinking the first thought I had was, yeah, the Hustler's probably a better trainer plane than the old Gemini being the low wing. And uh, from memory, it was a fifteen cc engine you put in them. Fifteen? Oh, the Gemini? No, that was a forty size. Oh, was 45, it? Forty six. Yeah. Okay. So a seven or eight cc engine, you know, and uh, three wheels, uh, yeah, low wing, them. really stable. It was a good plane, but. Remember, you had to build everything in those days. Yeah, from the kit. So, so I ended up uh, sort of damaging one wing, so I repaired it. And uh, it looked great, and I thought, oh, I'll give it a great paint job, you know. Mm. Made it all black with some gold pinstriping. It looked terrific <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Yeah. It looked terrific on the ground as soon as it lifted. As soon as it got in the air, it just became a silhouette. Yeah. I couldn't tell which way it which was, way was going. going. <laughs> the, the what what hobby shop did you, were you going to back then? Oh, so those days, the closest hobby shop to us was Orchard's Hobbies in Nidri. Yeah. Oh, we don't like mentioning that name, uh, Orchard Orchard here, because you know, Glenn Orchard has been asked to come on this podcast about five times now, and he just says not oh, yet. Right. 
So um, <laughs> he everyone's waiting for him to come on. So keep on joking with him, going, everyone's waiting. He goes, I'm going to do it. Well, <laughs> but anyway. Well, it was his dad who owned the hobby That's shop. That's right. And um, and Fataba radios were to go, and Adrian Laurie repaired the radios in the back of the shop. Oh, yeah. So I used to bring my used to bring my radios down there after you have a crash. You wouldn't just go and buy another receiver; they were too expensive. So he used to take it there, and he'd he'd repair them, mm. and uh, uh, he'd do a good job on them too. Really? Yeah. So that was a great hobby shop. So how often were you getting down to the club to go for a fly back then? Oh, I'd be going every weekend, and. You know, you used to get that excitement when you when you're first learning something new. You know, you gotta you gotta get down there and fly some more and get better and get better at it. I reckon it's happened three times uh, over many years. And uh, one time was uh, with the planes, learning to fly the planes. And the second time, I felt that real excitement. I mean, I love it anyway. But the second time, I felt that real excitement is when I took on helicopters so it would have been about 15 years after i started at the marks club oh yeah and uh yeah and helicopters really oh, that excitement you know where you've got to go and fly you've got to get better at it you've got to master it it took me two weeks to learn to hover in the backyard i used to try every night after work i see <laughs> it's that i think we enjoy that that journey of discovery oh i love it yeah, you know how you know in our little chat group, you know everybody has a go at me, and I always say that I'm an athlete. I like helmet sports, and yeah. well, it's true in a kind of way. But um, but like me, me getting into motorbikes and stuff like that, it's this journey of becoming reasonable at it, kind of thing that that I think I enjoy because I get bored very easily. So there's always there's always something else, and it's never something that's easy to pick up. It always involves an effort and learning phase you know thinking about it and that kind of stuff so i think i think we aero modelers are very very similar in that way so i don't know if all aero modelers like motorbikes but i used to that were my two favorite hobbies it was uh flying models and riding uh, motocross and uh enduros it is a popular thing amongst aero modelers motorbikes and cars and boats and fishing that's what i've come down to (laughs) there's a common thread there's a common thread. Yeah, nothing wrong, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. We, we want it any other way? No. Not at all. No. Uh, okay. So, anyway. so you're flying this Gemini, right? I'm always interested in what was the next steps because I know what it's like myself from my own experience. You get into a hobby and then you're sort of trying to find your place in that hobby and that kind of thing. But after the Gemini, yeah, you got into the Hallies a bit later. but Yeah, it's a bit what, later. So. What was the next step? Well, after the Geminis, everyone had a lipstick. 40 size little stick. Yeah. Everybody had them. I think because they were just so easy to build, you know, there yeah. were no ARFs then. So everybody had a little stick. So I was flying my little stick on my 36 meg radio. Uh, and I had my, earlier in the day, I had two frequency keys, one in the bus spare and the one I always used. Uh, a visitor came to the field and he didn't have a frequency key with him. So he asked me if he could borrow mine. I said, yeah, no problem, you know. And uh, take it. Anyway, it was about an hour later. I go to fly my plane, look in the frequency board, and there's my key in my frequency. And I thought, oh, I must have left it in there, you know. Oh, All good. No. So <laughs> I can see where this is going. <laughs> yeah. So I start up and take off, and about halfway through the flight, oh, my God, all hell broke loose. It was doing – plane took off doing all these aerobatics and finally ended up, you know, demolishing into the ground. And I go and have a look at the frequency board, and it turns out 
the visitor that had come had the same frequency as me, and he put my key in my frequency. So um, anyway, so I always remember I was devastated that day. <laughs> How good is having two point uh, four gigahertz though now? <laughs> oh, oh, it's so good now. Yeah, yeah so good. Uh, the thirty six meg was pretty good as long as you were careful with the frequencies. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was that was sort of the next step. Then after that, I've got larger models. Um, of course, you always have to build them. I used to buy and get some models from Ernie in South Australia. Uh, I built a large Cap 232 with a Webra bully engine in it. They were about 35cc methanol and uh, kicked back like a mule. Yeah. <laughs> See, those caps, <laughs> but caps were, were popular back then, weren't they? They were popular. They were pretty big, you know, big mm. wing. They flew well. Uh, fiberglass fuse, large foam wings. That was pretty much standard. Yeah. And they were pretty good. And I, I was pretty happy with that model. I used it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I had JR radios in. I wasn't using Fataba. Um, I bought one of the first JR radios that it came out, the silver aluminium case with the round gimbals. I think it was four channels and no reversing and no nothing else, but it was the early FM radio, you know. And it worked all right. Yeah. And okay, so then, did you go down the aerobatics route, or you know, what what was your sort of the style of model that you were, you were interested in? Well, to go down the aerobatics route in those days, you really needed one of those pattern ships, the big sixties. They tuned pipe. They used to do mm. about one hundred and ninety k's an hour. Um, and I just didn't really have the skills to build that, uh, and I wasn't really interested in practicing every day after day. So I just out for a bit of fun, just like your regular Joe club flyer, you know. Um, so I always had the little sticks and the caps and whatever. And But my next model I built was a 60-size um, uh, Mustang. I don't remember the brand, um, but it was a 60-size Mustang Razorback with um, – retracts and it was a great model and i flew it for a long time and so i kind of started to really like the scale then okay yeah so and so you really only had look remember in those days you really only had two models because your radio didn't have model memories so you used to set two models up all the same you'd use the linkages to get them all to fly the same (laughs) So you, you so you could fly both models any time. So yeah, it's not like we forget day. about that, don't we? I've, I've totally you forget, forget about how that. Well, you've got it. Yeah, yeah. You don't know how, how well you've got it, mate. I know. Yeah. And okay, so yeah. w- 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 so when you talk about scale, was it warbirds or you know what kind of planes? Oh yeah, I love mustangs. I've had a few mustangs along the way. I've always liked them. They're they're a nice looking model. I just love that shape of it coming around the corner and coming towards you with the wheels tucked in and uh, the dihedral on the wing. It just looks amazing, you know. I love that. I love that look. The Mustang is my favourite warbird, I must say. Yeah, it's pretty good. The um, I do like a Mustang. But, um, okay, so you built a few Mustangs. What else did you build back then? Oh, uh, pretty much after that. I reckon I started getting into choppers, to tell you the truth. I, like, I had big sticks and things with the old tartan motors in them. People may remember them. Um, and they were good, reliable models. 
And remember, these days you get ARFs, like six months down the track, you're sick of it, you sell it and get another one. But in those days, you used to put in three months of building time to build a model. You didn't get rid of it in six months. You'd have to build another one. So they used to last you a lot longer. So you never had as, as many models as you do today. That's That was a question that I was going to ask, and I've never asked that question before. But, you know, nowadays we see people having you know, 20, 30, 40, or, or like one of our uh, friends, 84 <laughs> models at last count. Someone you might know. Someone you might know. <laughs> Head of the peanut gallery. Uh, that gives, might yeah. give away who he is. But um, how many models did people own back then? Well, no, no one really had more than a few models, um, unless they were special models, I guess. But, look, no one really in the club had all that many models. Not Like I said, not like today. They would would have had four models, tops, I reckon. Uh, well, I was, I was lucky to have two or three. Yeah, because you were basically building, keeping it, and I suppose that radio issue would, would prevent you from having heaps heaps of planes now we can just keep on adding more and more absolutely yeah Mm. absolutely it did yeah the the model memories in the radios is one of the um really good features that have come along aria you really you know how people refer to the good old days they don't sound like the good old (laughs) days to me (laughs) it sounds like it was a lot of hassle (laughs) yeah maybe i'm thinking about uh that that they were the good old days but now they might be the good old days they were the good old days because you, like we you, nobody knew any better. That's just what we had, you know, and that's what that's you, had to, you had, had, to, had to deal with. And it's the same with today. We just deal with what we've got. We don't know what's going to happen in 10, 20 years' time. Yeah. I, my prediction is we're going to have these automated flying planes and we're going to spend our time programming the models to take off and fly an aerobatic sequence perfectly and land, you know, and it, it'll end up being this robotic kind of hobby but um Absolutely. but we've got it's got to a pretty pretty good place at the moment really okay so so yeah so you got into the helis let's talk about the helis right because okay the helis those days were pretty crazy when it comes to helis i remember seeing one down at a local park in the probably early 80s and thinking oh look at that um but what were you flying what what, what was your first heli oh well i had a my boss at work was an avid era modeler as well, and he had a lot more money to spend than I did. So he had helis, and he had the really nice stuff, you know, and I'd usually give me some of his cast-offs. So I ended up picking up, um, oh, I don't even remember the brand. It was just one of those real old models. It was fixed pitch uh, with a wire drive to the tail, and I, you know, learned to hover on that and learned to fly uh, after that. I ended up getting a Colt, a Colt Baron. Yeah. People might remember those. That's it was right. a 40 size heli. It was fixed pitch, but a beautiful little helicopter with a rate gyro. There was no hitting hole gyros. That was another big improvement. Mm. But so I had a rate gyro on it, and uh, I had a lot of flying out of that. And of course, eventually I was flying and forgot the time. And of course, it ran out of fuel, and there's no pitch control to uh, <laughs> auto rotate down. So. The blades pretty much stopped pretty quick and down it come like a rock. And that was the end of that one. <laughs> Did you um, – I've, I've interviewed other people that were sort of got into helis back in those early days and they, they tell me about stories of um, following the helicopter around like a football oval or something like that behind it and just like – Walking oh, behind this heli, did you did you do that that method or like who no, who, was, who taught no. you how to fly? Oh, well, I taught myself really. You know, uh, 
helicopters, you don't really have someone to teach you to fly. Once you learn to hover, which you can do on your own, you just transition to forward flight. Um, and if you can fly a plane, you can pretty much fly a chopper around as well. Um, using you just got to learn rabbit control. Yeah. But so I really taught myself. Um, so those those helis were good, but they just didn't descend very quickly because they were fixed pitch. You had to reduce the speed of the rotor for them to come down. So it was a real gradual descent to come back for a landing. So after I lost that model, I was looking around for another one, and uh, a JR Ergo 60 size model oh, came yeah. along. And that was the first really good heli that I had. Had uh, collective pitch, uh, mechanical collective pitch. Uh, I had a, one of the first heading hold gyros on it, the CSM 360. Um, and the tail was rock solid after having this other tail that you're always working on. Mm. This was rock solid, you know. And uh, I, that was terrific. After that, I had a lot of flying out of that model and it taught me a lot. I learned to fly it inverted uh, and had a, good, had a lot of good fun out of that model. And that was what, – what era are we talking about? Give us a, a – that would be – well, it would be – Oh, that would have been – would have been mid-80s, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Mid-80s, yeah. yeah. Mid-80s, late-80s. And who, who were the uh, people you were flying with? Because no doubt you were down at Mark's because – I was down at Mark's mm -hmm. um, and uh, Tony Farnham used to – he was always there, you know. He was a he was a great um, benefactor of the club and uh, and a good modeler and a good um, a member. And he used to his son Mike used to come and he used to fly choppers around a bit. Um, but then other fellas came along like uh, Luke and some of the other. Oh, can't remember them now, but. Uh, there were a number of people flying helis and helis were getting really popular, just like, I guess, like you'd say, jets today. Uh, so I had a lot of fun out of that model. Eventually, I ended up selling it and uh, buying a JR Digger, which was a really good chopper. And I had a lot of good flying out of that as well. And uh, flew other choppers at the time, flew some scale ones. I built a large scale um Iroquois. Oh, gee. It was, uh, yeah, it was a 12 kilo model and um, a beautiful flying model. It's uh, 800 mil blades, uh, 32cc 30 engine, uh, and I had scaled it up and it looked terrific. You know, I had the lights on it, everything. And I'm flying that around, having a great old time. But the trouble with that model is you've got to carry it out to the flight line, you know, and it's a bit awkward, 12 kilos, and mm. you're carrying it off to your side. Uh, eventually, it um, ended up getting. I guess I just sold it. I don't even know why. <laughs> okay. But I wish I still had it now. <laughs> I was going to say, I bet you would still wish you still had it now. Okay, so then, how long did you keep up with the helis? Um, we we're all flying all different helis, and uh, some friends were building helis and learning 3D. I could. I could fly around pretty well and do most of the, a lot of stunts, but nothing like real 3D, you know. Those other guys, I wasn't prepared to lose as many choppers as they were losing. Yeah. Uh, learning 3D. Just ask Luke. <laughs> Our friend Luke. Gee, he knows how to crash, that guy. He does an excellent job. He's mastered the art of crashing. 
Yeah, you're doing well. But he's also mastered the, you know, he's also mastered flying them. So well, apparently I've heard I've heard that Luke, our friend Luke, is a good uh, heli pilot. I've never seen him fly a heli. Oh, well, he's got to come out someday. <sighs> anyway, so we'll fly flying helis, but all of a sudden, I don't know helis just kind of got a bit boring, and everybody just dropped them. I guess, and went back to planes, and that's what okay. I did. I ended up going back to planes, uh, and ARS were around by by this stage, so we were just buying planes and flying and flying with mates and, you know, having mid-airs and didn't matter so much <laughs> then. You'd just go and buy another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, okay, so it sounds like you were pretty consistent in going to the field, that you've never really had a, had a break from it. Well, I did have a break for a couple of years, I went, uh, I did a lot of motorbike riding in those days, but I'd still go every now and then on the weekends. But eventually I gave the motorbikes away and went back flying, you know, pretty much every weekend again. Um, You never really give it away. You're always thinking about going back there, I reckon. And it's not just the flying, it's a social aspect as well. You know, going down and having a chat with the boys down at the field and to fly together. It was great. And and now we've got electronic means to continue that party uh, all through the week and um, listen to repetitive conversations that uh, go around <laughs> around in circles. It's wonderful now. But no, you're very, it's, you're true. You know, yes, I always say that we aero models are always thinking about it. Even if we're not down at the field, we're always thinking about it and it plays a part in our lives and takes up uh, some thought. But uh but yeah, I think you've 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 kept it up sort of more consistently than most have, and uh, and let's just fast forward to, to to today and look at what's right. in your hangar now, because I don't think you've still got two or three models in your hangar, Mario. So uh, look, I haven't got as much as some people. Let me tell you that we know that I probably I probably only ever keep I probably only ever keep about eight models because my shed isn't that big. And uh, you've got to sell one to make room for another one, you know. So I've got a couple of aerobatic models, a uh, couple, couple of smaller size two-metre jets um, and a couple of foamies uh, and a couple of scale models, and that's about it. So, And so there's always something. I always try to bring two models to the field. Um just for a, just so in case one breaks down, you can fly another one. But I like the nice composite aerobatic models. They, they fly so well, you know, and they're so refined these days. They are. Uh, yeah, and they're, they're beautiful to fly. What they look size? Good in the air. What size you generally, when uh, it comes to those aerobatic models, what are you picking? I only ever, I mostly stick to about 70 cc's. The... Big 110-type size CC, you need a larger car to get them in there. Um, I do I do have a go at them once in a while, but mostly 70 CC is a good size for me, I'd reckon. Yeah, you can put them in the back of the so car. So I'm pretty happy with that. Do you ever get into gliders? Oh, in the early days, I had a couple of gliders, yeah, but yeah, not seriously, never, never seriously. Well, you're more of a speed yeah. demon because I know you as a jet guy now. As I say, Mario, I've got a well, saying. Now you're talking. <laughs> yeah, all roads lead to jets. You know what's interesting? You're talking about helis and how there was a big movement in helis and we saw that heli movement sort of in the mid-2000s all the way to about 2013, 14. Um, were sort of peak times for helis and then 
people just moved on from it. And I'm seeing now this massive move to turbines, uh, which I think is testament to the Australian economy and that how much people, money people have made over the years to be able to go and afford these expensive jets. Uh, I think. I- I think they've just become more affordable, that's all. Well, in a kind of way, they're still damn expensive, Mario. I, oh. They still are. But but I think but but all roads lead, do lead to jets, let's be honest. that it, Sooner or later, well, when you've done everything else, when you've flown the helis and you've done control on you've done, you know, all sorts of different models, you're going to end up with a jet, aren't you? Well, remember before I'd said to you, uh, there were three times when I felt that real excitement where you wanted to fly and fly again and go and get better at it. Well, the third time was with turbines. Yeah. It was it was just the sound and the smell, just um, just make gives you back that excitement to get out to the field and fly again, you know. And uh, and it's been real good fun. How long have you been into to jets now? Oh, it's only been a couple of years now. Um, they were always a little too expensive for me prior to that. So I've only really been flying them a couple of years. But you've got to remember, too, they, you don't fly them in, during the summertime. They're mm. pretty much banned during the summer. So um, so you get the prop models out in those mm. on those dates. That's true. Yeah. And uh, what jets have you got? Sorry? What jets do you have? Oh, what jets? So I've still got my original um, trainer, the Excalibur, with a King Tech 80 in it. It's. I know people boot them on and get into a, a newer jet, but it's such a fun jet that I, I don't want to move it on. I like flying it, you know. Yeah. Blasting low passes at over three hundred k, six foot off the ground is just amazing. Well, you know, I do like the Excalibur, and I, I think for that reason that um, everyone has fun with them. You just, you just, you just fly them in a different manner to say an F eighteen that you've spent tens of thousands of dollars on uh, and so that everybody that has an Excalibur really enjoys it. And, you know, is there such a thing as a jet trainer? I don't really think so. But, okay, there's differences in sport jet versus, you know, a warbirdy kind of jet. I don't know, but they're but great fun. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Uh, and and the, what's the other one? And the other one? The other one is one of the Phoenix uh, uh, BAE Hawks. Hawks. Yeah, they're popular. Yeah. Beautiful. I've always loved Hawks. They just... Such a classic shape, you know, that I like. And the Phoenix one is, I know some people say, yeah, it's wood and it's this, but you build it properly and it flies like an arrow. It flies yeah. like it's on rail. It's a really good model. And uh, I, it's really only meant for a 80 to 100, but I had a 120 sitting around, so I detuned it to about 100, put it in there, and it's perfect for it. Oh, yeah. And uh, blast it around. And it lands nicely. Once I've got the settings right, it comes in nice. The retracks work well. It came with the kit. It's been a really good little plane. Are they electric retracks so or air? They're, they're all electric, yeah, okay. and electric brakes. Yeah, I think that's so it's quite. Going. It's been a great little plane. Um, I'm sometimes reluctant to get into bigger turbines because of the amount of fuel you've got to carry. Uh, but I'll have to give it a go in the future. Well, do you know what? Bigger is always better and a bit easier. And but I bigger comes with another set of consequences, doesn't it? Beside the financial consequence, but um, you know you got to carry them, you got to store them, and all that kind of thing as well. But you know, personally, I'm happy with one jet at the moment because you know my experience is in that 
lengthy, really, as we all know. But uh, but yeah, I I do love I, I love seeing other people's big jets. I don't necessarily feel compelled to go and uh, buy a big jet at this present point in time. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah, you're gonna give, you're gonna give me a fly your new jet, Andrew. Well, look, maybe you <laughs> mode too. Uh, no. Oh, we'll see. Oh, Mario. Oh, I can learn it. <laughs> oh, I don't know, Mario. I don't know. But um, mode two is mode of champions, as I always say. But but uh, yeah, okay. but I always say though that I don't think that say flying any bigger model versus a smaller model is going to be a hundred percent more fun than the smaller model. It's just a different experience, and the bigger ones are generally easier to fly. I find. Look, I reckon the two meter sort of size, they're. Uh, they're not too big to fit in the car. They're easy to manage, and they really get some speed up. You know, I'm not sure that you get that kind of speed with the bigger models. Yes, no, you don't. Um, and they're just a really good size for me, anyway. Well, I've got the the, the two meter Viper jet coming, but the um, but the and I had the two meter Viper jet before it crashed, but it was big enough. Like it's still a big model. It's not. This they're not small planes. They're basically the same it's size. Still a fair model. It's a pattern plane, like the, the two meter by two meter pattern plane. Now, that's what they basically are. Pretty much. And that's not a small model. The small model is some of those little foamies with the forty five size turbines and stuff like that. But um, well, funny you should say that. Oh, you're thinking about one. <laughs> I keep. Oh, I keep thinking about the uh, the Raptor, the free wing ninety mil oh, Raptor, yeah. and putting a. 45 size. Well, I've seen it. them fly. And it'd be a neat little job. Did, well, you've, <laughs> had a go. you've got to listen to the um, the podcast that I recorded with John Carney. And John Carney has done the conversion multiple times, right? And I saw him and a mate flying them at the Wang Jets event this year, and they were phenomenal. And he said they are really fun. They're really good to fly. They convert really well. Oh, man. But um, you need to. Well, now you've really convinced yeah, me. Yeah, you've got to go and speak to John Carney, and because he, he'll he'll put point in the right direction. Because as I said, he told me how many forty five size engines he's got. But it's like heaps. He's got he's got thirty turbines. Oh. Not all in planes, but uh, they're sitting around. That's it. That's the only thing that kind of holds you back a little. The expense. These, uh, look, I look at the, like the cost of the recovery after a crash is is significant. And okay, fortunately, most people that can buy turbines can afford to buy the turbines. But none of us want to go and lose a turbine because we've got that much in the, in the air, really. But but you know what? It's it's horses for courses. You can build a scale model that costs a fortune as well with big monkey engine in it and all that kind of stuff, and and, and lose of that. Course. But um, there's just something about jets that plays on our minds. I think more so than others. Yeah. I just like the way how they fly so smooth. You you think a prop plane flies smooth, but it's no, it's not the same. Once you fly in, once you fly in a jet, you'll find you'll say, oh, this is just so smooth compared to a prop plane. Yeah. Maybe it's the speed. Maybe it's the fact there's no propeller on the front, but they just fly smooth through the air. There's no jumping around and kicking around. And yeah, I really like. That's it. what I found. I, I, my description of my my two meter Viper jet was that it flew like a heavy pattern plane because they they carry they're, they're heavier with most of the composite. They're heavier. The the fuel loads a lot higher. Uh, that kind of thing. You know, the engine doesn't weigh. They're always they're always pretty heavy, yeah. but they seem to carry it right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and you sort of like I don't mind having them a little bit heavier to cut through the wind and that kind of thing. But um, but now nah, there are um. Do you, do you ever get to any of the jet events? I haven't seen you at any of the the, the jet events. Oh, I've been for a look, but 
I need to get a bigger jet first. No, you don't. <laughs> As I told you, Wang Jet's event, though, John was flying his little free wing models. There was everything. But do you know what I've got? I've got this saying, Mario. When we go to flying events, rarely do we sit there and watch everyone's flights. And especially when you go to something like Wang Jet, where the runway is far away from the pit area, most people are just having chit-chats and they're back to the runway. And now and again, yeah, you go, oh, there's a nice F-18, oh, it looks good, and then you just keep on having a chat. Well, like I said, the social side, you know. Yeah, I might have to come along and blast some low passes. Do that. That's it. That's what you want. That's what you want. Yep. That's, that's, that's the most fun, most fun out there. Well, yeah, you know, we've got to, you've got to, you've got to fly it like it's supposed to be flown, really. You can't, you know. Good fun. So, okay, so the jet thing is, you know, I know that that's your thing and you really enjoy uh, um, doing that. Now, what about building? Like you, you sort of give me the impression that in your early days you really you didn't rate yourself as a builder, but I reckon you're probably better than most. Well, I did build. I built some scale models and uh, I, I was always building sticks and things, I guess. But I don't know if I had more patience then or I just – it's the patience thing and the time spent in the shed. I don't think I could spend that time anymore to build a nice scale model from scratch. I have the ability to do it. I just don't have the time and the patience, I think. And ARFs are just so easy these days. And you can get a really nice model and uh, have it flying in a couple of weeks, you know. Yeah. Pretty hard to beat that, Andrew. It's true, but oh, I do think that when I'm retired, I will spend more time building something. Like get a get a project like a super chipmunk or something, a kit, and build it up, and and you know just come back to it and keep on doing that. Like oh, these people that are really into building that will have like five models on the go, you know, because they start one, they get a bit bored, and they go to something else, and they start. I, I just don't know how they do it. That's a different breed. I don't have the. Patience. I don't know how the missus doesn't come and get them out of the shed. Oh. <laughs> They do eventually. <laughs> like I've got this. Everything's got to be done in moderation, and all those people that go really hell for leather in any hobby, whether it be aero modelling, motorbikes, or whatever, you can't keep up that rage for that long. And um, if you can, you're you're one in a million. But you end up just working yourself into ground, you know, if you if you're spending that much time. But you know, we we do know a lot of people that like spending time in the shed, and uh, you know, they, they must obviously. Enjoy oh, don't it. get me wrong. I like spending time in the shed, but. Uh... I'm just not sure that I could spend that much time in the shed. Yeah. Uh, oh, look, I have a family. They all want to come over and they want to do this and want to do that. And and uh, you just it's a bit hard to spend every hour in there, you know, building a scale model. Yeah. I just don't think I could dedicate that much time no. anymore. Everyone says to me, you just got to do a little bit often. I'm like, yeah, but I don't have a dedicated building area. So... Every time I start doing something, I've got to set it up and then I've got to pack it up, whereas I can't just leave it on the bench and I'll come to it tomorrow because I just don't have that space. But uh, anyway, one day maybe. Yeah, fair just, If I kick the kids out, I'll take over one of their bedrooms. Maybe if 15-year-old's my oldest, maybe I can kick him out now. You'd probably like that. <laughs> oh, you've got a couple of years yet, mate. I know, I know. Now tell me, uh, you've been in the scene for a long time. You know, have, have yes. you got any tips for, for aero modelers out there? You know, some words of wisdom. Oh, jeez. Words of wisdom. Um, I like to make everything reliable. Um, make your planes reliable. Don't leave a big bird's nest of wire and bits and pieces and plugs that can come unplugged and you'll have a much 
better time because um, if they, you know, if they keep crashing, of course, you're soon going to get sick of that and give it away. Yeah. So reliability is the key, I think. Um, and on the bigger models, on the bigger models, it's um, your fuel supply and your cooling. Get that right and you can fly day after day and they just keep going and going. When it comes to purchasing gear for your models, are you you're always looking at the more of the quality end rather than the, the affordable end? Uh, I always like to spend that little uh, a bit more to buy the better gear. Uh, I think that comes back to reliability as well. I, I put it this way, I wouldn't buy a big 100cc model and put $20 servos in it, you know what I mean? Uh, so I think you'd need to spend um, a reasonable amount to get the correct gear for the model. Yeah, I'm a believer of that as well. There's nothing beats it. You know, when you've got a model that you know is not going to do anything stupid, that it's just been reliable flight after flight, gee, that's a good feeling. <laughs> when you just know you that's can a, grab that plane and go for a fly and it's not going to bite you. Oh, it's just, that was pretty much my Black Horse Gilmore with a Sato 60cc three-cylinder in it. Mm. Um, that was a go-to model. You could fly it day after day and month after month and it would just keep going and going and it's just been such a great model it's five years old now and it's been so it's had so many flights and still going still going fine you've gone and had a look at our friend's uh new black horse Fockwolf, haven't you i have i what have what do you think of the build you know what i was really amazed i thought it looked terrific it really looked apart and it's quite a large model it's well built. Mm. It's the only the only thing for me. I don't like that painted covering all that yes. much. I think it's it seems to become a bit brittle with time and uh, and breaks really easy. But otherwise, the model is you look after it and it'll be a nice model. That airframe. So this is a it's a hundred cc of Focke-Wulf, and uh, I, when I saw it, I went, "Oh my god, this is built. This airframe is strong. It's got carbon fiber all through it. Um, you know, all that laminated kind of carbon kind of thing all the way through. Yeah. But it looks like the airframe looks great. And I'm with you. I actually said to our peanut gallery president friend that uh, he should pull the covering off now and recover it and do it properly because <laughs> it would be a phenomenal scale model. Because the airframe's there, such a nice it's just model. the they use this, um, yeah, like a printed vinyl. It's not even. I don't think it's a shrink covering, but it's like a vinyl, and it's not going to. I think it's a stick on. Yeah, it's not going to like the weather. It's not going to like a hot day. Uh, but but yeah, the airframe itself is that is just next level. It is a proper proper giant scale, well built um, airframe. I was very very impressed with it. I I. I didn't really consider it when I saw it on the website, but once I saw it in the flesh, I thought this is quite a good model. I wished I'd bought it. Yeah, that the well, those are the Vietnamese um, builders. You know, they're all apparently related: Black Horse, Phoenix, and yeah. Seagull. A friend of mine, actually, Marty Morgan, over in South Australia, just sent me a photo of his new. I think it's a Phoenix Slick. It's a twenty cc. I think it's a Phoenix Slick. A slick. Aerobatic plane. Model. Really and he model. said it is great. And this guy's flown all sorts of, you know, the extreme flights and the pilot RCs and 3D hobby shop planes. He's had all of them, right? All the the top-notch aerobatic planes. 
And he said, this is great. You know what he did? You know those um, E-Flight Dracos that, that um, yep. Roger, you know, the, the Mike Patey thing? He had one of those and he, and he crashed into a fence apparently somewhere. And so he pulled the gear out of it and he's put that into this slick. Even with the four-blade propeller, which I said to him, it looks terrible. It looks so small on this model. It needs a two-blader. But he goes, gee, it flies really, really well. I said, is it light? And he goes, yeah, light enough. Because I always, some of these manufacturers, when they build these aerobatic planes, they look good on the outside, but they weigh twice as much as they should. But he got, he said, no, nah, it's yeah. really, really nice. And he sent me photos of it. I go, yeah, it does look good. So they, they, they're getting better and better and they're doing, you know, next generation versions where they do upgrades and different building techniques and stuff like that. So it's, um, and we need them. We need that those Vietnamese manufacturers to keep on going because the, the models out of China are getting more expensive. And the, and those models, uh, the models today, the aerobatic models just seem to be so light. We could never have imagined them yeah. being so light 20, 30 years ago. You know? they, they built heavy um, though back in the day. And what, what, they, the, what the advantage they've got nowadays, and I've spoken to the, um, the guy that builds extreme flight models over in China, and um, they, they use computers. They computer design them and work out what they actually need to make a nice strong airframe and all the junk is taken out. And even down to selection of wood and the grain and all this kind of stuff. And then they're using you know, carbon fibre in certain areas as well. But they don't want to get them. They don't want to get them any lighter. The the owner of Extreme Fly said, "We we don't. We're not chasing weight now, because if we get too light, we're just going to have a kite." So I think they're pretty happy with where they're at. And now it's just you know, ease of building. I think is the next generation. Um, especially we've seen it with Extreme Flight and Pilot RC is they're really working on how do we get a model, uh, an ARF that a hundred cc that you can build in a weekend and be done. They're so well built. I. I, I'm amazed every time I see them, and they, I didn't think they could get better. But lately, the ones I've seen lately from those companies uh, have just been even better. Yeah, they next level. light and strong, next level, yep. And, and they fly superb. That's true. And like nobody's ever complained about a pilot RC plane or an extreme flight plane, how they fly. But, you know, it's interesting. I, I do want to get Chris Hinton from Extreme Flight on. Um, I've just got to, he's in the US, so time difference is always a challenge. But, uh, he said we've, we worked out our, our wing foils many, many years ago. So most of their foils are very, very similar because they just know what works for that freestyle aerobatics kind of thing. They've got it dialed in. And then it's just they they design the outside of the aeroplane or what they want it to look like and wingspans and things like that. But it's the factory in China that actually works out how to build it. And so they've got some really smart people sitting behind computers designing how they're going to build those models and okay what they've got now is a wealth of experience from years and years of building these planes now they've just got better and better so now it's just refining things you know like these quick release wings and stabs and things like that which oh i'd love that just make it easier for me and even plug in servos now yeah, they yeah. have to screw them in sometimes yeah yeah how good how good's that well i do like i do like yeah. uh what Skywing have done and their wing system where they've got like magnets, magnetic pins, and you just pop them in and that works really well. But then yeah. Pilot RC had their version with latches and then Extreme Flight's done a similar thing with their latches as well. Um, so it's uh, next generation. Yeah, and the other thing I found is they've refined their airfoils down to the point where they just fly and you have to get really, really slow before they'll even look like stalling. Yeah. 
Um, they mush. You know, that they've just got that airfoil that just lifts even at low speeds yeah. and they just keep flying and it allows that 3D flying that you see that amazes us all. Well, our friend Con Gabriel, who likes uh, flying 3D in a shoebox and rev his engine. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but yeah. Just don't, just don't give him a go on your jet, okay? No. No. Well, I fly mode two, flies mode one, so bad. But, the, right. the, uh, but it always surprised me when you see some of these modern-day 100cc aerobatic planes and how slow they can go. And and when they're coming down the strip nice and low in a Harrier or something like that, you're going, gee, how's that thing flying? And it's just it's basically you can hang them off the prop. Um, and, you know, they're just rock solid. It's just it, I, I still struggle getting my head around that, that, oh, I can fly this plane slower. And because I just don't want to try it too slow, just in case something goes wrong. But but I've seen so many people fly them extraordinarily slow, you know. And, a bit of, and they just keep flying. Yeah, yeah, it's well. And um, yeah, and I was up at Shepparton a couple of weeks back, and one of the aerobatic pilots there, I'm not sure what plane he was flying. I think it was an Edge, and uh, I saw him come down pretty fast, straight down pretty fast, and then just pulled full elevator. And it just pulled up and pulled the nose up and didn't tip stall or spin around no. or anything. And that just shows you how good uh, those airfoils really are now. Yeah, no, they are very good. Now, are you building anything? Have I asked you that question yet? You got anything on the build table at the moment? No, not at the moment. I've been a little bored. Oh, come on, Mario. <laughs> I've been looking around. I've been looking around for something to build, but I'm not sure what yet. Yeah, well, look, I'm not sure what it'll be. Super chipmunks are always good to build. Uh, should be one of those. Well, well I don't mind, don't mind the chipmunk. They're quite a good looking aeroplane. Yeah. Look, I'd probably, I'd probably like to build another Mustang in the next next month. You need to go and speak to um, Trent Smith, who's got Mustang. He, he does the fiberglass kits. Well, that'd be really good. He's in Melbourne. Um, He'll build you one. A fiberglass model. It's a fiberglass. Well, the wings are foam core, I think, but the but the fuselage is is um is um a composite. But um yeah, he's he's doing them locally, and, and they don't cost an arm and a leg either. He does a good job at it too. That's that's I'd I'd like one of those. Can you? I'll buy one. You yeah. buy one. You build it for me. There you go. <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> Come on, Mario. I thought we were friends. So I'd have to build two. I'd have to have two building benches side by can, side. Yeah, just build them side by side. You practice on yours, perfect it on mine. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's what my missus says about when I, with my projects. <laughs> what, what, did she complain about your projects? Oh, no, no. She says that uh, we always end up with the uh, prototype that's not quite as good as the refined model, which is the next yep, one. Yep, that's right. It's it's a constant journey, isn't it? You know, it's like you even see someone like um, a, an amazing builder like David Law from the, you know, went to the world champs, came second. He's always got another another project on the go. He's always got something to build. And, he and, has, and you really got to give it to, those, to the amount of dedication he puts in. Oh, yeah. I reckon he'd work uh, pretty fast, though. I think it'd be pretty pretty quick work. He knows how to solve problems because he's solved it. But it was interesting that Cliff McIver, in, in the interview that I did with him, who knew David as a kid, that he always had that in him from a child at school. At school age, oh, right. yeah. Cliff said that he, when um, they they were at uh, Kerry Grammar doing um, woodwork or something, they were going to build model planes, and he didn't want to build like a stick kind of plane. He wanted to build a Mustang or something or a Spitfire, one of the two, and he built it. You know, oh, so, so yeah, he's so he's had that in him for, for you know he was built that way. 
which is yeah, you got to you got to appreciate that and respect that. You know, I just I'm a bit like you, Murray. I really like the flying part of it, and I really like the socialising part you, of it as well. You know, I'm good at talking, and that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I love. That's why I love doing yeah. this podcast. This is this is actually the greatest way that I I uh, practice my error modelling is talking to other people about error modelling. But I'm, I'm hoping to hoping to go for a fly this weekend. I really am. Well, if the weather's good, well, we'll have to get out. I've got an injury. Come down to a fly. Come down for a fly. I've been invited. I have been invited, but I've I've got a maiden. I've got a plane to maiden, and and it's an electric thirty cc aerobatic plane. And if I go down to my local club, they've got charging facilities. Not like where you are. You don't have any power. You don't oh. even have a toilet there, do you? Oh, there's plenty of. Well, actually, oh, there's plenty of generators. Sunshine. What what um club are you now mainly flying at? Well, mainly we've been going down to Melton Club, uh, and. Sometimes the council sprayers are down there, so you really can't get in there when they're there. So we end up going to Keelaw, and they're both really good clubs. Uh, Keelaw has a lot more people there most of the time. Uh, you can go down there during a weekday, and there's always people there, which is really good for the social side. Uh, and I quite like it, that club as well. So mostly Melton and Keelaw. There is a question that I've asked many people. Uh and because I know that we're, we aero modelers, we've always got a bucket list of models that we'd like to build, right? What's on your bucket yep. list? Oh, probably a large Stearman, I'd reckon. A large Stearman with a nice radial engine in it. I reckon that'd be amazing. Well, you, you didn't win the raffle at the uh, the Shepherd and Mammoth event. <laughs> nah. That would have been the radial. You would have that sorted. I was hoping. Uh, I know. <laughs> Yeah, looks like we both missed out. Yeah, no, I missed out on that uh, on that that prize as well. That would have been a good prize. But uh, yeah, the steamer would be nice. A big steamer would be nice. A big steamer, radial engine. You can't beat that sound. Uh, I reckon that'd be a good model, and you can fly it all year round. Uh, that'd be a fun model. That would be. In what what scheme would you do the the blue and yellow? I reckon the blue and yellow. I quite like that scheme. Yeah, it yeah. does look good. I reckon someone like Horizon Hobbies, Hanging Iron, will come out with one at some point in time. Big steerman. But you need a radial, yeah. don't you, really, to, to really... That's, yeah. But you know what? I'd, with the um, Gilmore, like, spent the money on the three-cylinder Seiko radial, yeah. and I had so much use out of it, so much flying out of it. It's given me so much pleasure over the years. Um, it was well worth it, I reckon. Yeah. Now, that brings us to the final question, and you may have already answered it, but you may not have, which is the question that everybody can't wait to hear the answer to, and that is what has been your all-time favourite model? Oh, my all-time favourite? Jeez, it's hard to say. Don't say the platypus airboat. I've had so many. It's not the platypus airboat. <laughs> I reckon probably my favourite model would probably have to be uh, a large, the large pilot Pitts uh, Challenger. Pitts Challenger. Oh, I've got one of those. In the black and yellow, yellow and black scheme, oh, yeah, yeah. it's a pretty, pretty hairy model. It uh, really goes well. Does every stunt in the book uh, as well as I can do them anyway. What size is that model? Uh, seventy-three inch, seventy-three inch wingspan. And they're running what motor in that? Well, it was designed for a seventy, oh, and no. so I originally had the seventy in there, but it just wasn't giving me what I wanted. And I had this giant cow, so I thought, oh, let's have a look. And uh, a 111 fit in there 
just nice. So I actually, I actually have to strengthen the engine box a little to get it in there. But uh, it fit in there beautiful, and now it flies like a champion. Just goes vertical and uh, plenty of power. Is it pretty light on the wing, or you have to keep the speed up on it? No, it's quite light. Probably landing, it tends to slow down too much and start to sink, and you yeah. can bounce it. So you keep a little bit of throttle on. But uh, in flight, it just flies like any other model. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. Come out, it'll give you a fly of it. Mode two. Our peanut gallery president, he's got three of them, so I'm sure he can lend one of them, one of them to me. <laughs> Actually, he's got he's got a few of my bucket list models sitting there. I've asked him to leave uh, leave one in his will for me. Yeah, it's one of the ones. That, Get him to let you fly one. Yeah, he probably would, but you know, it doesn't leave the living room. One of the models, so uh, I can't fly it if it's not in the flying field. So uh, shout out to the uh, president of the peanut gallery. We won't mention his name. People can work it out. Anyway, Mario, no worries. Tigua, it's been a pleasure to have a have a chat with you and, and get to. As I said, I, I always I know these people, but I don't know their story. And now I know your story, and I know you're a bit nervous to do this. But how bad was it? It wasn't that bad. I actually settled down, and uh, I really enjoyed recounting some of the old stories from the early days at Mark. See that um, that is exactly right. That everybody loves talking about their history or you know, the old days of flying and stuff like that. And we get sort of that pep in our step when we do that. And that's uh, that's what I love bringing to life. I've got a record of your life now in aero modelling. <laughs> Good on yeah, you. Yeah. And uh, just to leave you, I'll leave you with uh, uh, another old memory from the marks. Oh, yes, please. And that was um, and that was bringing chairs, chairs out to the edge of the flying field with uh, Paul Richardson and some other modelling friends at the Marks Club. And uh, Paul Richardson had his plane there, and we're all sitting on the chairs, mm. and he's handing the transmitter around, and we're all having a go at touching and go. Ah, oh, that's good, as isn't the it? Sun, as the sun was going oh, down. And that's, that's perfect. just one of those enjoyable memories. Yeah, yeah that's perfect. You know, when that, that late in the day when the sun's going down, it's calm, and, and everybody's just relaxed and, and that kind of thing. And passing the transmitter around, as you can do it um, slope soaring. Slope soaring is a very, very social <laughs> thing where you just sit there and you just have a chat because you don't do much, you just go up and down a slope, right? Pretty boring after a while unless you're <laughs> really trying to go for it and do some aerobatics and stuff. But you sit there going up and down the slope and you just have a chit-chat. I remember there was myself, Ido Segev and his brother Yonatan and we're sitting out near the Sandringham Yacht Club down here and for an hour and a quarter we we, we just passed the transmitter around and it was like when it was, it was our turn to fly. It's like, oh, do, we, do I have to? You just keep on flying a bit longer. I'm just having a chat. But um, oh, that'd be, uh, yeah, Good memories. And and that just makes one of those days when you go home and you feel really happy. Oh. Um, and that's what it's all about yeah. as far as I'm concerned. That feeling that you get after a good day's flying, you just feel content and calm. Exactly. I call it, I, I reset my after brain. you've had a good day. Yes. If you've had a bad day and you've crashed a few models, that's a different story. But, but yeah, yeah. when oh, – that's what I'm hoping to do this weekend, get out for the whole day, and it just resets my mind, calms me down, and I feel like I've accomplished something for the day. Oh, nothing beats And that's how I feel. I feel great when I get home after a good day's flying. Um, makes you ready for another day. And then we get onto our Facebook Messenger group and just have to listen to the banter. <laughs> Mario, let's go flying next week. Mario, let's go. can you tell everybody yeah. what's my standard answer when, every, when somebody asks a question? Every, on, on our group, what's my standard answer? And it's a, it's a one-word answer. It generally starts with N and ends in O, doesn't oh. it? <laughs> uh, 
not really sure what that is. When, no, when they say, oh, should I get this? No. It's, oh, okay, that one. Everything's no. I always say no to everything. It's, it's just easier. No, I've no, had to, no. I've had to turn the um, the notifications off on that chat group because it goes all day and it just distracts me and I don't get any work done. So I turn it off and just silence it. But now again, just check to see what, make sure everybody's still breathing. Oh, I think the most standard answer on there is whatever. <laughs> no, and it's spelled W A T V E R. What for? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Anyway, that's a standard answer on there. Ladies and gentlemen, anyway, don't good don't get involved in our little chat group because it'll do your head in. But anyway, Mario, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Flat Out RC podcast. Thank you for joining me, and we will go flying at some point in time. We will be at the field together flying. You're welcome, and I've enjoyed recounting some stories. Good on you, mate. About to leave. Already packing, come with me, I'm not really asking, we'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. A big thank you to Mario Pachapizzi, whatever his name is, uh, for joining me. He's a good mate and enjoy having it i enjoyed having a chat with him but i always enjoy having a chat with mario so uh hope you enjoyed it as well and a big thank you for everyone for listening and subscribing don't forget to subscribe if you're not subscribed join the gang the flat out rc gang uh and whilst you're in the mood for subscribing to the podcast don't forget our instagram and our facebook page and of course the youtube i've, I've got the the shepherd and mammoth event video is up if you want to have a look at that as well if you're a bit bored fill in a few minutes so go and have a look at that just search for flat out rc go to the channel and you'll see that video so i hope you're enjoying everything that i'm doing and i know you are because you keep on coming back i see the numbers people keep on coming back which is good to hear as i said i might be here next week i may not be with a podcast episode see how i go i'm not putting pressure on myself just want to recover from my injury but i will be back stay tuned Looking back, eyes on the freeway, Bonnie and Clyde, a classic cliche, we're on the run, this is what we waited for.